Anne hauled herself up from her slump on the floor, ready to make another useless perimeter sweep. Kitty, kitty, kitty? One or the other of them had been calling for hours, circling the yard, culvert, street. Neither cared for the cat. It peed on pillows, sharpened its claws on pants legs, licked itself neurotically. But the boy, the eleven-year-old who'd ridden away with his father at dawn, needed Winky. Taking Winky fifteen hundred miles east to their new home, their hideout in the mountains, was non-negotiable. Hate that fucking cat, murmured Anne. The image saving the animal was of it curled in the armpit of her sleeping son. She hated a few other things, such as the way she looked in shorts and a sleeveless shirt, especially when compared with her daughter, who looked beautiful in whatever she wore. What consolation did age provide, Anne wondered, bragging rights for having arrived at 45 or 60 or 99? You didn't come through intact, that much was clear. Moreover, the interesting things happened early, a piece of information Anne was consciously, uncharitably withholding from her daughter. Packing away their belongings, she'd found crayoned pictures addressed to her from Lizzie, pledging exclamatory, boundless love, filled with hearts and a round-headed tribe of people grinning their drunken, smiley faces. The toddler who'd given herself to those drawings was gone. Her features turned angular, her smile caustic, her thoughts sour and secret. Easy to love little children, harder to love grown-ups. Anne had been shocked to discover that at fourteen, her daughter had shaved her pubic hair. When she was fifteen, Lizzie's notebook had been full of stick figures having scary sex, not to mention the sickening song lyrics pulsing from her bedroom stereo, or the fuck me and cunt she'd markered onto her own shoes. Now, unbidden and often, Anne would be visited by one or the other of these images, a slideshow starring her sunny child who had become an alarming adult. The only help was to picture her boy, Cole, coming toward her with, say, a cookie in each hand, one for himself, one for her. Lizzie's cell phone tweeted in her hip pocket. She studied its pink faceplate nonchalantly. Grandma, she told Anne. When she raised her eyebrows and held out the ringing phone, Anne shook her head and stepped back, as if her mother could reach through the line for her. I'm not here. Lizzie had put on her listening expression as she engaged the line. Neither is Grandma, she said. It called accidentally. Grandma, she yelled into the phone. Pick up, Grandma. It's the cafeteria, she told Anne. I can hear silverware, old people muttering. Even if Anne's mother had called on purpose, she wouldn't remember who or why. Alzheimer's had been stealing her for years now. Eleven months ago, when she learned about the airplanes deliberately aimed at the World Trade Center, it was as if their collapse took what was left of her with them. You know, I once lived in New York, she'd repeated that day. Those words, and no others. A refrain to accompany the repeating footage on television— a refrain that was perhaps her last coherent response to the world. Or maybe it's bingo, Lizzie was saying, tuned to the tabletop or the linty interior of her grandmother's handbag. 
Shock had unglued her mother, Anne supposed, the perfectly understandable desire to stop knowing any more things, a defense mechanism of the mind, a pressure valve in the heart. She'd had to be moved from one part of her assisted living facility to another, demoted to the wing where the rooms were more like cells and the assistants more like wardens. The pill brigade, the nightly tuck-in, the sniffing hygiene police, wardens or stagehands or ventriloquists, whose patients were wooden dolls, it was their charge to animate. And Anne's mother, who lived this sentence, this shapeless ongoing performance, occasionally making her random accidental calls, a fleet piece of will or inadvertency exerting itself. Anne could leave L.A. because her mother would never know she was gone.